Today's teaching text comes from the book of Acts, chapters 8 and 21. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was a great joy in that city. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candate, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And the, then the, both the Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few times in my life, I have found myself in what I have referred to, you know, whether it's the perfect term or not, as survival mode. And I think about the, the time when my father had uh, his heart attack and we got this call in the middle of the night that was alarming and, you know, we're disturbed and we wake up and we're scrambling to get to the airport and find an emergency flight home and then living, uh, you know, in the hospital those few days before he passed. It, it felt like survival mode. And when I think about our most trying moments of leading the church, uh, you know, those times where we've sort of been leveled by some really painful piece of news, and again, you kind of go into that survival mode, or um, when I've been standing with other dear friends in, in, the, in the middle of immense loss, um, you know, kind of go into a similar thing. And during those times, the world shrinks down a, a, a bit to to the day, to, to the moment, um, all that matters uh, seems to be getting through that short segment of time. Uh, those times, of course, can last longer than we expect, certainly longer than we want them to, and endurance um, certainly becomes a factor. 
I'm using survival mode, of, of course, in, in a way that's broader than it would apply to those serving in emergency rooms during this pandemic or someone serving in an armed conflict or something like that. I, ho I hope you'll forgive me for that. But I guess what I have mostly experienced is, is more like an emotional survival mode, um, uh, though, of course, that, that can also affect our bodies. And the first month or so of this pandemic and the, and the shelter in place process, I, I recognized some of those feelings that I had had before in other times of like emotional survival mode uh, zone that I had gone into. And I know we all deal with these things uh, differently, but I find for me, I go into, uh, in those survival mode times, I go into like this action oriented pragmatism where uh, I've just got to do this. I've got to prepare this. I've got to make this decision. Uh, I'm trying to gather information. I'm trying to get uh, you know, uh, opinions and thoughts from the people that I care about um, so that we can make important choices. Like I remember with my mom in those few days after my father's passing and we're in this like, um, you know, emotional state that was so difficult, but we're still picking out a headstone and making this compilation video for his funeral. And I'm preparing uh, what, what I'm going to say on that day. And I find myself in those survival mode moments, like not letting myself linger very long on any worst case scenario. And um, I, even bizarrely, like, and maybe you can relate to this on some level, at the beginning of those things, like when you first hear the news, um, although there's often just like terrible sadness, sometimes there'll be this very weird, strange excitement that all these things are being shaken up and it's so out of the ordinary and, and I'll feel like, you know, this adrenaline kicks in. But then then time passes, right? And, I, and I've felt it uh, in this process really acutely, right? Four weeks became six weeks, became nine weeks. And and we're really not sure in, in so many ways what things are going to look like going forward. And uh, I just confess to you, like I have had some really low moments uh, in these past weeks. Um, it's not exactly the same as early on. It's not some of those sharp episodes of short grief that I sometimes find myself having in, in a survival mode, but it's more like this uh, wallowing mental fog. And I think one of the most painful parts of, of the quarantine process for me so far um, has been having moments that feel like they are a failure of imagination. Um, uh, realizing this is not a short sprint, um, but, but something, you know, something more, something much longer. And I'll, I'll give you a confessional moment from, from our, our home, uh, you know, one small example from the past couple of days. Uh, Allison and I sat down twice this week uh, to try and make a plan for the summer. Um, you know, normally we would have our kids, our, our two older boys' baseball schedule would be dictating a lot. You know, we need to travel to see this family and this family. Um, and in both times we sat down to plan and I just, I ended up storming off in frustration and I went honestly not that far away uh, in our apartment and I kind of threw myself a, a pity party. Um, there's just so many what ifs that uh, we kept running into. It felt impossible to really land on, on a picture of what we wanted, of what we needed to do. And I know this about myself. I know part of my personality, part of my temperament is that when I don't have anything to look forward to, I, I find myself in a really difficult place. Like it's easy uh, to, to go low. And so in my pity parties, right, in the frustration of having just stormed off, right, I also then threw on a little bit of guilt and a little bit of shame just to, to add some seasoning. And I'm sitting there thinking, what kind of pastor am I or what kind of father am I if I'm having this failure of imagination, right, if I'm lacking 
lacking vision, if I can't see, um, you know, even what to hope for in, in, in the next moments. Um, and strangely enough, guilt and shame uh, did not pull me out of my low spot. Weird. Um, so I've been trying to do what what we do in those moments. I've been I've been doing my best to try and vent my soul to God, to really give God the unfiltered honesty of my heart. And um, I found I found in this time I've had to be willing day to day to sort of change up some of how I connect with God. Like just just sitting down to quietly read the lectionary is not going to do it every single day. Some days I just need to go on a walk and with my mask so no one can see my face, just vent to God and. Um, and, and really be honest in, in, in my heart and prayer. And on Monday, I heard my friend uh, Rob Jones in, in, in Dublin speaking to his church say the words that Jesus says to his disciples famously in, in, at the beginning of John 14. Sometimes when you hear a friend say words that you're familiar with, they can just hit in a different way. You can hear them slightly differently. And, and I just heard him say uh, Jesus' words, do not let your hearts be troubled. And the word let really jumped out to me when he said it. Um, Jesus knows those who are listening to him are going to have trouble. He knows uh, acutely the trouble they're going to face. He even promises a little later in John 16, 33, that they're going to have trouble. But he says, don't let the trouble settle in your heart and make a home there. Uh, that, that word let meant, meant so much to me when I heard Rob say it. He says, when you find your heart is troubled, don't leave it alone. Uh, don't let it stay there. Uh, pester your heart uh, with, with things that make joy possible. Um, stay after your troubled heart right, with the promises of God, with um, pestering your heart, with, with, with naming the things you're grateful for, with gratitude. Go for that worship run or walk. Call a friend. Right? Get out of yourself and serve someone else. And, um, you know, we're going to have troubled moments, but we have some some say in whether we let our hearts stay in that troubled place. Like I can look to the places where God has been faithful in my story in the past, or you know, really helpful to look at the places where God has been faithful in the scriptures and to know I might not be able to plot myself where I am in this story at this exact moment, but God is still faithful. Right? I often want God to speak louder and faster and take more of my ideas into account when he's, when he's taking action. But I still believe, and, and sometimes even if I can only see it looking backwards, um, that God is lovingly guiding and directing my life. And I, I hope that you can hold on to that promise as well as sons and daughters of God who've been brought in uh, by the covenant love of Jesus, his cross and resurrection. Uh, I find myself, I want comfort. <laughs> you know, a lot of times it's the first most immediate felt need in my life. Uh, God seems to be more concerned with maturity, <laughs> with growing my soul and my character uh, a, a little more than, than, than I am uh, with, with desiring comfort him. Two years ago, uh, my friend Tyler from TGC Williamsburg uh, and I were talking. I was in, I was in a different funk for different reasons, uh, but I was in a low spot. And he, he, we were having a meal and he told me he'd been praying for me. Um, and he, he told me uh, that he'd been praying for me along the lines of the story of Philip. And so we walked during that meal through the life of Philip and just talked about some uh, of the details. I was encouraged by it in that moment for sure. I felt lifted up. Uh, but it's also been a story that I've returned to many times since, since then. And I, I feel like it has something particular for us in this Easter tide. Philip is one of those stories, one of those people that pops up 
a few times in the early days after Jesus' resurrection and the Holy Spirit comes and births the church. But he's not the most well-known character on the pages of the New Testament. You may not have thought about the sort of narrative timeline of Philip's life in any, any sort of extended way. But Philip, I think, shows us what trusting and obeying Christ can look like in several different stages of life. Uh, when we first meet Philip, um, he, he is among the group of deacons. Um, that is selected to serve tables, right? Similar to Stephen, whose story we heard uh, last week. So that's where we first meet him. He's selected as that group of few deacons. And then we see him scattered and driven from Jerusalem like so many others. When the persecution arises, he's driven out of Jerusalem. But he carries the message of Jesus. Um, he, he, He carries that message by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see him involved as many people are having life-changing encounters with the gospel, right? That carries us all the way up to Acts 8. We get these details of Philip's story. But then we have this little mention of him all the way later in the book of Acts, near the end in Acts 21, where it says he was living in Caesarea and he had four daughters, uh, four daughters who all prophesied. So when I look at Philip's life, I see Philip had to learn to obey God in his, in his life during times of potential. Uh, times of trouble, uh, times of success, and then times of enduring love. And uh, if if I say that another way, uh, he he had to learn to obey God in trials and pain. Uh, He had to uh, learn to obey God in joy. Uh, He also had to learn to obey God when it required perseverance. And so I want us just to look quickly at these moments in Philip's life because uh, they can help us trust uh, that there is direction, <laughs> that God's direction is something we can count on, uh, even when we may be struggling to sense it, and that we can trust He is loving us and, and guiding us, uh, even in moments of pain and confusion, um, that we can see right, there's fruit from, from different seasons of obedience in our life, even when we may not be able to, to track that fruit, to, to see its progress as easily as others. So I want you to see these four scenes with me really, really quickly. The first is this uh, potential, times of potential. Philip, as I mentioned, when we first hear his name, he's one of the seven selected to serve tables to the widows in Jerusalem. We don't know much about him at all at this point except that uh, some, someone or some few in the community had identified his character and called out the potential in his life, right? And just for a, a moment to pause, that is such a gift that we can give to one another in, in, in the community of Christ to see and celebrate one another. I mean, in the, just human community in general, right? To have someone look at your life and see you and celebrate you and call out the potential. We're going to take a quick break and get whoever's at the door. Hello. Folks, you'll be glad to know that we got our water bottle delivered to the office. Uh, I just want you to feel that same freedom. If a delivery person comes to your door during this sermon, get up and answer the door. They might have your expanded Uno pack or your RX bars or, you know, vital cleaning supplies or a candle or something like that. So, um, Right back to where we were, right? This is such a a gift that we can give to one another to call out potential in our lives. Encouragement uh, is one of the ways that we come to know how God has gifted us, right? Other people in the community calling that out. Um, Affirmation from the community can help us courageously um, step into uh, some of the ways God has has created us, some of the things God has made us to do and be. Um, But the job that um, Philip is is given is still a a humble job. His job is to serve the tables of those in need, as important as it was. And I was thinking this, this week about 
Uh, my first experience interning with my church that I grew up in, and we had this, uh, I had been at it for a, a couple of months, and, and we had this youth Sunday, and I had the opportunity to give the first sermon of my life, and no doubt it was an absolute disaster, but um, people had been really encouraging, and I felt like it had gone fairly well, and I'm kind of flying high. So I came in for work the day after youth Sunday where I had given this sermon, and, and uh, it was the only time that I was given this job, uh, I was asked to vacuum the entire church. Uh, church office sort of area and um, the the guy the minister who was my boss came in and I'm vacuuming and he came up to me and he like came up right next to me you could tell this was like a moment um, and he was like if you're gonna if you're gonna be a minister if you're gonna walk in this you have to learn to stand on the stage in front of the people and then you have to learn to vacuum the office when no one is watching and for some reason, that that still sticks with still sticks with me. That there are, are lots of moments where um, you, you're going to be seen and you're going to be celebrated, and there's uh, other moments where no one's going to know at all um, the ways you're choosing to to follow and obey. Um, but but how important it is to have people come around us and call out um, that that potential. We're we're actually looking right now um, to 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 hire a student pastor for for this crucial ministry in our church to do that in the lives of our middle and high school students because it's such a vital time. Right? Right? That when you're when you're young, I mean, all stages of life, but maybe uh, especially important when we're young to have someone look at our life and say, "I see you, I love you, I call this thing that is good out in you. I want to see it grow." And we see that uh, in, in Philip's life. He he learns to obey God in a time that mostly feels like potential. Right? Not much has been proven yet. The next scene is uh, we see um, Philip continuing to walk with God in obedience, continuing to follow when trouble hits. And Acts 8 tells us a little bit about it. Uh, It says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Right, Many of the disciples had to flee from Jerusalem because of this persecution that arose. All right? And we need to keep in mind, right? we know from Stephen stoning uh, that this isn't just empty threats. Um, this isn't like just vague cultural you know, pressure or, or someone barking at you on, on Twitter. Right, This is literal life and death situation. So Philip has served tables. His potential has been called out. But when the, when the trouble hits, the persecution arises, um, he's scattered, and he has to take another kind of unpopular job. Philip goes to Samaria. Um, He's on the run for his life, and he goes to a place that no one else wanted to go to. Um, uh, It's documented throughout uh, some of Jesus' story, and we know from the history of the the time that there was immense racial tension, uh, serious cultural barriers between uh, the Jews from Jerusalem and the, the folks in Samaria. And Philip goes there, and in spite of those barriers, he shows the love of Christ. And uh, these two groups absolutely despised one another. And so uh, in, in the middle of this trouble, Philip goes and he proclaims Messiah. He gives this, actually this unifying story that was true uh, for, for, for the Jewish people in Jerusalem and uh, for those in Samaria. This is what both of them were hoping for. And now it has happened. And it says many paid attention. Uh, many uh, lives were astonishingly set free by the power of uh, and love and presence of Christ. So Philip had obeyed God in potential, uh, and now he obeys God even in the midst of trouble. 
The next scene we see is that uh, we, we, we begin to see Philip experiencing some outright success. And um, it, it's a turn of, uh, of beauty and joy. Um, Philip and the Ethiopian uh, eunuch is a story you want to make a church video about, right? This is where the results are easy to see. They're easy to celebrate, right? There's, there's a lot that we could actually say about this encounter more than we're going to um, th- this morning if this just happened to be a message about this scene. But just at a glance, right? We see Philip gets direction from God and he goes, right? Which we shouldn't skip over quickly because he's having a lot of success in Samaria. It says that the lame were getting up. Those who are who are spiritually oppressed were being set free. And Philip leaves that success. We see Jesus do that a couple of times, right? When people are clamoring for more, he draws away and prays and, and gets direction from the Father and then goes on to the next place. And, and Philip, in, in a similar moment, right? He gets instructions from the Holy Spirit and he goes, right? He obeys when he doesn't know the whole story, right? Something we've already seen little glimpses of. God uses him, right? Perhaps he'd been practicing in this cross-cultural ministry in Samaria, and God knew he was ready uh, for this moment that he had preordained on on the road south to Gaza with this Ethiopian eunuch, right? Um, There was no way for this man, this Ethiopian uh, uh, treasurer, uh, many think he would have been a treasurer in the court of Candace, um, to convert to Judaism. There was no way as a eunuch that he could do that. But he was very curious about Yahweh, right? We see examples of this uh, in the book of Acts, people from polyistic and pantheistic cultures that are drawn to Israel's God. And Philip comes up next to his chariot and he, he, he hears him reading from the prophet Isaiah. And there's this little detail in the text that says Philip started right where he was uh, and began to explain the message of Jesus to him, right? That, that's always uh, an important sort of uh, message to me that this, this is how it works, right? Relationally, we communicate the gospel and we start right where we are, right where the person we're speaking to is, right? We can't uh, force someone to be in a place that they're not, of course, but community is always crucial, right? We can do some searching on our own, but at some point in all of our journeys, God is going to lead us to another person because the, the, the kingdom of God, it passes along long relational line. So then beautifully, right? This man trusts Christ. He wants to be baptized immediately. Like we think, wouldn't it be nice if everything worked this way? The story kind of has everything. It's prophetic. He gets a sense from the spirit. He doesn't know how the story is going to end, but he follows it. There's cross-cultural ministry. He's going to the, the person who would, who would be labeled as the other, and he's bridging these barriers. Um, the results are right there. The guy is so ready. He's, it's immediate. There's joy. He's baptized, right? So many of the things we want. When I compare uh, last Easter to this Easter, I, I think about last year, we sort of had this high watermark of attendance. The most people who had passed through our, our church building on a Sunday was, was last Easter. We, Easter. we reached the most people we ever had with our Easter egg hunt. Um, we, we got to begin in the spring this beautiful and full alpha course. We were seeing um, uh, stories of God changing people's lives. And it was just like, this is the sweet stuff. This is the, the sort of beautiful nectar of ministry and, and, and life in the kingdom. And this Easter, we spent at home, right? And of course, there were beautiful parts of it, but uh, it can be easy at times to kind of be like, God, what is going on? What is going on here? I, you know, We're trying to be faithful, and I don't see how this is working out. And that's why I'm so grateful for the last scene we have of Philip's life. Way over in Acts 21, right? It's almost just a passing mention. Paul's journey is, is the sort of narrative that we're focusing on in that point uh, of, of the story. And we read this in Acts 21. 
We continued, continued our voyage from Tyre and landed uh, at Ptolemais, uh, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Many of you won't have known this, but uh, Philip actually started the hashtag girl dad movement. Um, he had four, four daughters. And this last scene of Philip's life, whether we know all the details or not, is a scene that shows us that in our life we learn to obey God in enduring love, right? You know, Philip had shown us he was willing to obey God in, in times of potential, in times of trouble, in times of success, but also he was willing to endure. Uh, he, he raised four adult children and they all knew God, right? Uh, from, 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 from birth to adulthood is, of course, a long journey, and they all listened for and could hear God's voice, right? Eugene Peterson describes um, the journey of Christian discipleship towards maturity as a long obedience in the same direction. For decades, Philip had lived in Caesarea, and he faced faithfully uh, raised his daughters to know God. We, we don't actually know what else he did. Uh, presumably there were other things, ministry he continued to do, um, but we also know that he didn't do this alone. Um, there's a very good chance that a large part of the credit belongs to Philip's uh, wife, uh, but also we also know this isn't something that he could do in one day, right? This isn't the one day tell the story video moment that looks amazing. I obeyed God. I couldn't see what was going to happen, and the Ethiopian eunuch came to Christ, and he wanted to be baptized right there. Isn't that amazing, right? This is many days of unseen, uncelebrated, long obedience in the same direction, right? Many times um, that there was nothing to make a video of whatsoever. Last week, as we were looking at Stephen's story and the message that he was sharing, even as he was dying, we, we, we mentioned how essential it is that we as followers of Jesus make a practice of repentance, learning to course correct as God leads us in love, as God is forming and shaping our, our, our character and has a, has a vision of our life that he's, he's calling us into that, that represents fullness and freedom and joy, right? And here's the other side of it, right? In, in Philip's life, we're seeing uh, this positive vision of obedience, which is also an essential practice of our life with God, right? You can't really separate repentance and obedience, but we're getting a picture uh, of obedience here in, in his story, right? There are human relationships, of course, many of our friendships are this way. There are human relationships where you can love the person and not obey them, right? Obedience isn't always a part of every love relationship between human beings, but with God, we must learn to obey. As hard a word as that may be to our ears, as hard of a concept as that may be to our pride or, 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 or our sense of autonomy or even how we view sort of like the American dream, obedience doesn't feel like something we want to do, but it is the way that we express our love and trust to God. It is the way that we walk um, in step with Jesus in the same place uh, where Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Just a little bit down from that in John 14, he says, if you love me, keep my commands, right? I have learned from experience how miserable it can be to confess our love to God with our words but not to follow through on that love with obedience. That's actually a miserable place to be because I think I know better than God what my soul needs or what the world needs or, or I think I know better than God the way my life needs to be led. 
Each turn of Philip's life required seen and unseen obedience, uh, a long obedience in the same direction. And I want to say this, I do not believe this was sustained by his immense willpower, right? This follows Pentecost by the power of the Holy Spirit who points us daily into the loving arms of Jesus. But here's the thing. We're not going to be able to sustain it by our willpower, but by the the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's a a truth we have to settle on. We don't always get to choose which day we're going to be scattered. We don't get to choose exactly when we're going to be selected for the job that's going to change our life. Um, we, 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 We don't know what day we're going to follow some obscure prompting from the Holy Spirit, and it's going to lead to a whole new group of people getting to experience the love and message of Christ. Many, many people think that this Ethiopian eunuch was the first person to take the gospel back to his homeland, and a whole, a whole new group of people experienced the, the person of Christ and the message of the gospel. But we don't always get to choose when that prompting is going to come. Well, we don't always love the moments of unseen and underappreciated love that go into making a child's life what it is. And of course, it's not just the long journey of parenthood, but other long projects in our life where a lot of the work happens outside of anyone else seeing and celebrating it, this long obedience in the same direction. But to for all those decades to, to walk with a, a, a child from birth to adulthood so that they learn to hear the voice of God and to speak His words. But we can learn to love and trust God enough to follow His way in any circumstance. I, I'll confess, right? I've had these, these, these couple of low moments and I've been like, God, what do you want from me? What's your will? Give me vision. Give me direction. And, and the same morning that I, I heard Rob say, do not let your hearts be troubled, I came across in the lectionary in 1 Thessalonians where it says, uh, rejoice always, pray continually, and in every circumstance give thanks. This is God's will for you. And I was like, God, what's your will? Show me your will. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, re- rejoice always, pray continually and in everything give thanks. Like I can start there. If I don't know the specific, you know, details of my summer or 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 2 years from now or when we're going to be back from quarantine, I can begin on a day-to-day moment by moment basis with following those instructions for places I know this is God's will. Jesus was willing to do that uh, for us, right? In Gethsemane, to go to the cross and go into the tomb, trusting that the love and power of the Father was going to bring this, this world-changing reality, this world-changing love out of the tomb and resurrection. That is the Easter message, right? This means, this means that the gospel means, as a matter of fact, that you are loved before you obey. <laughs> that you don't get, like Philip wasn't getting God's love by obeying in all this all these circumstances. Um, he, he, he was loved by God even when he was God's enemy, and so were you. And so um, that, that, that means we can choose to obey out of this overflow of love. It means that, that obedience can be a path of freedom and joy and surrender. And, and God can bring us along as he writes some incredible stories uh, with, with our lives, right? We may have these moments where we lack vision, where we feel like our imagination is failing, but God sees. Um, We have a share in this incredible ecosystem of the kingdom of God. Philip was a deacon. He was an evangelist. uh, He was a parent. And you are not only one thing. Uh, We have the share in the kingdom. And that means 
offering forgiveness and giving hope and showing kindness and and giving food to the hungry and and resources to those in need. It means justice for the unseen and underrepresented, being a listening ear, giving an embrace to one who is different than us, um, giving patience to those who are hurting, praying for healing, sharing Christ, giving love to all. This is our inheritance. This is the, 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 the way we are walking as sons and daughters of the kingdom. Philip's life is an example to us of how to obey in all these different stages and circumstances of life. And it's such an encouragement to me to know I don't have to see down the road further than I can, but I can learn to trust in the moment. And that is a beautiful thing. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just I want to specifically ask that you would minister to those who have been feeling really low and beaten down, um, have been feeling depressed and anxious and uncertain and confused and in pain during this um, quarantine and pandemic. God, I pray that you would minister your grace and kindness. God, I pray when we, when we pray those desperate prayers of just help, uh, that, that, that you, would, you would indeed show up, that you would help us, God. I pray, Lord, that you would um, draw out of us, God, courage and faithful obedience as you speak your word to us, that we can trust you in any circumstance of our life and knowing that, that, that you are the one ultimately guiding and telling the story. Uh, I pray that you would bear fruit through your word uh, in our lives, God. Would you, Holy Spirit, speak in the specific way that each of us needs to hear uh, and help us to, to, uh, uh, to love you by obeying your, your commands. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.